0: If you would turn on your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, if you didn't get an outline, I believe they're in the bulletin in the back lobby there, and uh, um, get one of those if you can. Luke chapter 2, it's the uh, third week of Advent, and uh, uh, we lit the shepherd's candle, which is a candle of joy. Uh, it's been... Uh, uh, wonderful to uh, attend the services that Scott Limkeman put together for, for uh, Advent in the other building. And I don't know, it's just uh, it's like 15 or 20, 25 people have been showing up, and that's been a real uh, pleasure and a joy to uh, uh, get ready for Advent, go through the Advent season with those uh, services in place. Uh, if you would stand with me, please, and turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. And there were shepherds living out on the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us again today, through your word, by the working of your Holy Spirit. I would ask for your anointing to flow through me now, that you would anoint these lips of clay. Lord, we need a fresh realization, a fresh vision, a fresh awakening of who Jesus is and what he has done. We love you, Lord. Thank you that you were born in flesh. You actually came as a human being to walk among us. And you came, Lord, in a body to carry our sins on the cross. We thank you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, and speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I heard the Christmas program was wonderful last week. I uh, wish we could have been there. Uh, Abby and Emily told me about a month ago. Uh, I don't know if it was an invite or it was told me. I'll let you fill in the blank there. But uh, that we were going to have a getaway in the Sisters, Oregon last weekend. And uh, we had a wonderful time. Uh, and Charlie and Colt were there. So you really can't go wrong. You know, you can lay on the floor and eat cookies and color and I have a great time with grandkids. Uh, it, was, it was a great time. My wife and I had an opportunity, we took in a movie on Saturday afternoon, uh, a new movie called Two from Bethlehem, and it was really well done, I, I enjoyed it. It uh, uh, played off Herod and Herod's son and their desire to keep power in uh, Bethlehem and that whole region, and yet they heard that another king was coming and uh, the one who played Herod, it was kind of amazing. Uh, he just leaned forward with some emotion and said, you mean there's another king in Bethlehem besides me? And uh, he was not happy about that because he did not want to give up uh, his, his power. Uh, it, it's amazing the joy that can be in Christmas, and yet it also is amazing. Maybe not amazing, but the heartache that can be a part of Christmas. Whether you get busy or whether you've lost a loved one or uh, have some kind of fractures on your family, it can really bring up some primal hurt uh, in, in these situations. And so this issue of joy and really comfort from the power of the Holy Spirit is so uh, crucial. And we see this all through uh, uh, Luke, really, this issue of joy, and it really carries over into the book of Acts. As you know, Luke also wrote, wrote the book of Acts. But as I looked at this, I saw in Luke 146 that Mary had joy uh, when she heard what was going to happen uh, with this Christ child. And I wrote uh, even uh, Palm Sunday, Luke uh, 19. Jesus comes into Jerusalem uh, to go to trial, to go to Calvary, and it says that the people uh, sang joyful songs uh, of praise because of the miracles that they had seen. Uh, um, Angels uh, in in Luke 2.4 that we just read. okay? Uh, Luke 24, uh, after the ascension. Uh, Jesus ascended back to heaven to sit at the Father's right hand, and the disciples uh, uh, just radiated and spoke with joy about this person, Jesus. Christmas really comes down to Jesus, who he is and what he has done. If we don't see the full magnitude of that, everything in December can become quite routine, okay? Okay? That's why you know I love the word Emmanuel, because it means God with us. He was actually here. I was talking with a couple of friends in two different conversations in the past couple of weeks here in the Valley. And I talked to one, and he said, you know, Drew, I I just hate finding a present for my wife every Christmas. It's absolutely impossible. And he went on for a while about this, and I was really no help. Uh, you should have seen me the first few years we got married. I would run to Walmart the day before Christmas and get a bottle of shampoo and throw it in the cart and a bottle of cream rinse and throw in the part, cart and then a couple other things and think, okay, I hope this is good enough. I hope she's happy. And I'm not going to tell you how that went. Uh, but uh, we finally settled on a calendar that my wife loves every year by Robert Duncan, has these country scenes on it. And, uh, of course, I went to find it and couldn't find it. And, of course, Abby found it. So thank heaven. Uh, But uh, I talked to another friend. He says, you know, Drew, I don't even buy Christmas presents anymore. I'm just becoming an old Scrooge. Okay? Well, I don't know where you're at this Christmas. But the reality of Jesus is the most phenomenal, mind-boggling thing there is. And it's a historical fact. I dug up a couple of my books uh, from my office this week, and uh, I found C.S. Lewis's book called Miracles. Okay? And this is what he says in his chapter on the incarnation The central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation, deity coming into flesh. The central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. They say that God became man. Every other miracle prepares for this, or exhibits this, or results from this. Okay? The incarnation. Okay? So every cult is based on the fact that they don't believe God can become human. And the Christian faith is completely dependent and built on the fact that God contained himself in humanity... Okay? and came into our situation fully. And in the book of Hebrews, it says, he suffered in all ways, just like us, okay? but never sinned. If you have a broken heart this Christmas, Jesus had a broken heart. If you've cried this Christmas because of some issue, Jesus wept. Jesus has been here. And he sits at the right hand of the Father after his redemptive work on earth is done and was done, okay, and is interceding for us and sees every one of us individually and what you are going through. Friends, that will sustain you through a dark night of the soul, as Shakespeare called it. Because Jesus is with us. By his spirit, he's in us. The Apostle Paul said, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Friend, the incarnation, and we're going to dive into it pretty deeply this morning, is so crucial that we understand that. Throughout history, people have said, ah, come on, give me a break. Jesus, God in the flesh, I don't buy it, okay? And you know what the issue is? The Holy Spirit has to show that to you. I can't talk you into it. You can read all the books on apologetics and everything else, but the Holy Spirit has to do something with your vision, your brain, your heart, so that it hits you. Jesus is God in the flesh. One of my professors from seminary, uh, his name was James Seguntas, And I don't know where he got that name, Seguntis. I never heard what his nationality was. But he always talked about the early church fathers, And I dug up one of them this week, uh, and it's a book called Athanasius uh, on the Incarnation. And believe it or not, this book was written about 300 years after Jesus uh, walked on the earth. And you've heard me talk about this before, but it's so important that you understand this. There was a man named Arius who was saying there was a time when Jesus didn't exist. Now, I think you understand the problem with that. If there was a time when Jesus didn't exist, he is a created being just like you and I. And little old nobody, Athanasius, stood up against him for some 30 years, saying that is absolutely a lie. Jesus is God in the flesh. And he wrote about it. And he went to the Council of Nicaea in A.D. 320 because the whole Christian uh, realm was arguing about this. Is Jesus God or is he not? Okay? Jesus made it quite clear in his presence in when he actually walked on the earth. You listened, saw his miracles, saw him speak, saw him rise from the dead. Yeah. And you know, this is not an ordinary man. But you can imagine that 300 years later, people were saying, you know, I just don't get it. I just don't think that Jesus was really God. That's the reality of Christmas, as that Jesus, eternal God, came in the flesh, okay? And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And that really ticked the Pharisees off. Because they realized what was at stake here. That Jesus was equating himself with God the Father. That he was eternal as the Father is eternal. And Jesus is eternal. And the Holy Spirit is eternal. And we're going to delve into this a little bit more uh, this morning. If you'd look at your outline there, I've, I've put the word miracles there right at the beginning. Because that's really what this is. It's a miracle, okay? Now, we live in quote-unquote a scientific world with lots of technology, lots of information, and what happens in our modern world, and it's been happening uh, for quite a while, is the fact that people believe if I understand the information, then I understand reality, okay? And so they have this scientific, if I've memorized uh, the uh, uh, periodic table of elements, if I know how biology works, if I know how nature works, blah, 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 then I understand reality. But the Bible says there's another realm of reality, which is a spiritual realm, and that is God. It says in the Psalms, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Okay. Now, I don't say this to people, but when I talk to people that don't believe in God, I'm thinking in my mind, this person has excised a large amount of information from this discussion because they are convinced there is no God. Now, how does the natural world work? Bear with me for just a moment. We have gravity. Things fall down. Okay? We have photosynthesis. Photosynthesis. Light shines on leaves and produces energy in that leaf so that tree can grow. Water freezes at 32 degrees. When it melts, when it freezes, it's snow. When it melts, it runs. All these things. And so this is how our natural world works. Look at your outline there, if you would. There are laws that govern the natural world. There are laws that govern the natural world. Now, in our scientific technological age, we have a lot of fools running around believing they understand all there is. Okay, Unfortunately, unless you look at the spiritual reality that's conveyed to us in Scripture, you have a lot of people that are really empty inside. They've created all kinds of idols with their technology, with their money, with their stuff, whatever. And you know what? They're empty inside and life has no hope and no meaning and no purpose except acquiring more stuff. Because none of that stuff can penetrate the heart. That's why the writer of Hebrews says that the word of God divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow and discerns what's going on in the heart. So the word of God, whether on the pages of scripture, or Jesus himself by the power of the Holy Spirit, has to penetrate the heart, because the heart is captive to sin. And it's been that way since the book of Genesis. God spoke to Adam and Eve and said, all of this is yours, but you can't take this. If you eat this fruit, you will surely die. And people have been dying ever since. And what did Satan do in chapter 3? Well, you can imagine. Satan said to them, speaking through the serpent, Oh, that's not really what's going to happen. You're not going to die. Diametrically opposed to what God said. Okay? Young people, you're going to go to college and you're going to sit in classrooms where they're going to say things that are diametrically opposed to Scripture. One of our young kids there uh, was at college a few years ago. I told you the story. And the professor looked at this girl who had grown up in our church and said, You're one of those evangelical Christians, aren't you? And she sat there like, What did I say? Okay? The academic environment hates this book, hates Jesus, hates anything in here that says there is a God and he's told us how to live and Jesus' death and resurrection is the only answer to life. And they've built this huge superstructure saying it's all a lie. And you know what? They are the liars. Because Satan is the father of lies. That's what he's all about. And we go to this book and say, you know what? You can have all your science, all your technology, but you're ignoring reality that Jesus actually walked on the earth. I was talking to a friend this week at the tire store, and she's a Jewish lady. And we were chatting, and, and I don't know, suddenly we dove into this, this long discussion about Jerusalem and Israel and the Middle East and history, and it went on for quite a while and she's not a Christian, and she looked at me at one point and said, you know, there absolutely was a person named Jesus who lived in the Middle East. And I looked at her, and I just smiled. I I didn't say anything. I thought, you know, we're friends. We're just going to leave at that for now, because the Holy Spirit's going to work, okay? There absolutely was a man that lived in the Middle East and walked on the earth. I love that. And I'm praying for her. Because God is working and speaking to her. The next blank there, okay, there's supposed to be an H there, that word uh, that looks like a wonton or a wenton or, or something, but it's when. When a miracle happens, the laws of nature are suspended. Okay, you get that? When a miracle happens, the laws of nature are suspended. Do you think on, e- on Easter morning when Jesus rose from the dead, the laws of nature were suspended? Amen, they were. That's why Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies. I love that line. Even though he dies, yet will he live. And you know, when I have funerals for people that know Jesus, I love to go up and just hit that casket. And everybody's just quiet. Dong, dong, dong. He's not here. Why? Because he's born again. Because he's given his life to Jesus. Because he said, Jesus, forgive me my sins come into my heart. And Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And he who dies, even though they die, yet will they live. And Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's why you can take a cell from the human body and and all kinds of stuff and x-rays and MRIs, but you are not seeing all of reality. There's a spirit there. There's a soul there. And only the reality of Jesus can penetrate that. Okay? And being born again and giving your life to Jesus is how that inner person of uh, that human being can be uh, uh, um, uh, penetrated. The resurrection suspended the natural laws of death and decay, okay? And I mentioned John 11, okay? So what we're talking about, and I know we read about the shepherds, but this reality incarnation, I've just felt like we've just got to burn this into our heads and our hearts so we can truly worship And I think that's what Christmas is about worship, recognizing who Jesus is, recognize what he's done, okay, and really falling down before him and saying, Wow, Jesus, you left the glory of heaven. You emptied yourself of everything in heaven. And you came here in Isaiah 53 says, There was nothing in him that was desirable or should attract him. He looked like a regular Joe. But you know what? When he spoke, people said, we never heard anybody talk like this. When he did a miracle, when he stilled the sea, what did the apostles say? What manner of men is this that the winds and the waves obey him? Read Revelation 1. Jesus appears to John on the island of Patmos. He was there as a captive for his faith. They said, "Maybe we'll shut this guy up if we put him on a desert island in the middle of the Adriatic Sea and let him die there." And Jesus appeared to them, him, and gave him the book of Revelation. And when John saw him, okay, he fell at his feet as though he were dead. He was so blown away about the reality of Jesus, the resurrected Christ, the ascended Christ, standing in front of him, that he fell down before him. Folks, would you have a moment with Jesus this Christmas where you fall down before him and say, wow, you are God in the flesh. And you came and died for me and rose from the dead. And you're presently with me by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is what I pray that you will have this Christmas. Write these verses down. We don't have time to look there. But in Psalm 1610, okay, I just mentioned to you the resurrection suspended, the natural laws of death and decay. You think I've thrown at you something from a, a biology book, but that's not true. When Jesus was put in the grave, his body didn't deteriorate. Okay? And read Psalm 16.10 where it says, and it's a prophetic passage pointing towards the, the Jesus' time in the grave, and it says, the, his body will not decay. And it's quoted in Acts 2.27 and Acts 13.35 because the disciples realized after they saw the resurrected Christ and he went back to heaven that he was in the ground for three days and his body didn't rot. I picked up my grandpa after he died about 10 hours later, and his body was beginning to deteriorate. Rigor mortis had set in. His body was as stiff as a board, because that's what happens. But my grandpa wasn't there, he was in heaven. His earthly body, okay, is going to go into the ground, but to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. This is the reality of the new birth. This is the reality of the Christian faith. This risen Christ comes in through the power of the Holy Spirit and gives us life that will never, ever, ever, ever ever fade away. Friends, we can have joy in this Christmas. We would all raise our hands and say there's something in our lives that is not the way we'd like it to be, right? We got a long list, and they're all valid, heartbreaking concerns many times. Jesus came into that and suffered in all ways just like us, yet he never sinned. He is present. And this is what I've grown to pray at my advanced 64 years of age. Don't anybody laugh? Lord, I don't like this situation. This bothers me. It's troubling me today. But Jesus, you're alive. And you're with me by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're present here. And you will sustain me through this because you have risen from the dead. Read these verses this afternoon. I gave them to you, but I want you to see them again. Psalm 1610, Acts 227. In Acts 13, 35. So what about the incarnation? What is this? The Holy Spirit is the life of God, or pneuma, okay? Uh, that, in other words, wind, okay? Uh, of God realized and manifested on the earth, okay? Turn your paper over for a moment and see what it says. Under, at the bottom, uh, under Mary... The first scripture I've given you, so you could see that quickly she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Mary did not have an earthly father. Okay? The Holy Spirit came upon Mary and, and impregnated, if you will, her by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle. Okay? What did I say? Miracles suspend the natural laws that we've come to expect and believe in and understand here on the earth. The incarnation, the conception, the birth of Christ was a miracle, okay? Matthew 1.18. The next one, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the presence of God, nine months before Jesus was born, came upon Mary, okay? And as you know from the stories and the movies of, of Christmas, okay, it was thought to be a scandalous, inappropriate conception. So Mary had to carry that, and Joseph had to carry that, stain upon their reputation, okay? And what happened? God spoke to them and said, you know what? This baby is not from natural means. The word miracle is not in the text, okay? But this is a miracle, That the presence of God came on there. And throughout the generations, skeptics have said, ah, come on, give me a break. Friends, it's a miracle. God created the laws of the universe. He can suspend them and do a miracle. And if you don't believe it, read the Gospels. And I'm going to go with the miracle. Because the knucklehead skeptics today don't know a dang thing. They're educated idiots. And Jesus was a real person. And he was God in the flesh. And he did miracles. And you know what? Knowing Jesus has changed my life. He's real. He's real. And I hope he would be real to you as you would have an encounter with him this Christmas season. So, the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary, okay, and impregnates her with the person of Jesus Christ. A miracle cannot be put on a microscope slide, cannot be put into a mathematical equation. It is a miracle. And I'm going to go with the God who does miracles because He's real and He intervenes in time and space. Okay, the Holy Spirit, the first blank in that middle section, incarnation. The Holy Spirit is the life of God or pneuma of God realized and manifested on the earth. Now I want you to make a connection to some other scriptures in the Old Testament that have similar language to this language of the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary or coming upon Mary. Because it's all about the presence of God tabernacling with humans on the earth. What does it mean, tabernacle? It means to come and inhabit something. In the Old Testament tabernacle that they carried through the desert, okay, it was called a tabernacle because they would sacrifice something and the presence of God would come. Why? The Holy Spirit wanted to dwell with human beings. Do you know if you know Jesus? If you're born again, if you said Jesus, forgive you my sins, come into my heart, the Holy Spirit tabernacles with you. The Apostle Paul in Corinthians says our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God has come and tabernacled with me because as a youngster I said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, come into my heart. The Holy Spirit came and tabernacled with Mary. Turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus and see what it says. The last chapter of the book of Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Look at Exodus 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now this is a miracle. Okay? God comes from outer time and space, if you will, and inhabits or intervenes or comes into a space and time physical location there in uh, the Middle East. There the cloud covered the tent of meeting. So they got this tabernacle, okay, that cloud is the presence of God, and then you have the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, came into the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, came upon it, settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled came into the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would sit out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not sit out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. I have an artist's rendition of that in my office and it's just to me so powerful of the tabernacle with the tents of all the Israelites around that and the fire of the Lord coming down on that sacrifice in the Holy of Holies. And I, my, my wife and I saw it at the, a replica of the tabernacle in Lancaster, Pennsylvania many years ago and I bought it. It's about this big and it's in my office and I was like, that's the fire of God. That's the presence of God coming down. Okay. The presence of God does what? Reveals the Father. Okay. Genesis 1-2, you can look at it yourself. Okay? It talks about the creation and says that the Spirit of God hovered over the deep. That's the presence of God. In creation, at the tabernacle, okay, many accounts in the Old Testament. And here in the New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit coming into Mary to impregnate Mary with the person of Jesus. Now, some of you scientific hard nut people are just saying, Drew, can we get along with this and go to to lunch? Friends, bear with me. This is real. It's real. I've told you about having a year-long depression episode in college and thinking I was going to leave school, and I go to Rodney Curran's dorm room in, in December And I told Rodney how I was feeling. And Rodney said, Drew, let's pray. Isn't that great? I hope you have a friend that when you tell them a problem, they say, hey, let's pray. And I said, yeah, go ahead. Say whatever words you're going to say. And Rodney started to pray. Friends, the presence of God came down and intervened in the reality of my heart and my mind that was absolutely despondent. And he finished praying a minute or two later, and I lifted up my head, and I looked at him, and I smiled. And I said, Rodney, something just happened. I mean, there wasn't fire, there wasn't smoke, the top of the room didn't blow off, nothing. But what had absolutely encapsulated and taken my heart captive in depression for 12 months was gone. Gone. Friends, that's God intervening in time and space and showing up and doing a miracle. Many years later in Corning, New York, I went to this revival service and the Holy Spirit showed up, revealed himself. And it was kind of a charismatic Pentecostal environment that many of us would probably not be comfortable with. But when you're depressed and need help, you'll go wherever. That may sound a little haphazard for you, but you know what? There's nothing wrong with getting hungry for an encounter with God. That's exactly what happened. We drove home that night, and I said to my wife, Honey, what did you think of that? She said, I don't know. Uh, But God was there. What is that? That's a supernatural reality of the presence of God invading a space, tabernacling in a space, revealing himself in a space so that people could experience that reality of the presence of God. And I laid in my bed that night and stared at the ceiling about 1 o'clock in the morning and thought, wow, this must be what joy feels like. That's Joy. And that's what C.S. Lewis in Surprise Boys Joy said is the critical, central component of the Christian life. Joy hit him when he gave his life to Jesus. It hit him inside. And he said, I was the most reluctant convert, surely, in the history of the church. As the Spirit of God, as God himself, drugged me, cooking, dragging and screaming to himself and still said, I love you and I died for you. This is the God that we serve, who has revealed himself in time and space. So those scriptures talk about these uh, God tabernacling him uh, on the earth and revealing himself. Genesis, Exodus, Luke, and read uh, 1 Corinthians 9 also. The language surrounding the miraculous conception is similar to what we find regarding the tabernacle, as I've just said. The Holy Spirit made the incarnation a flesh and blood reality. Okay? The Holy Spirit made the incarnation a flesh and blood reality. Now, how how can I explain this? There's the word kenosis there, okay? Uh, A Greek word, and it means to self-empty or to empty out. And I'm trying to figure out how to explain this, and this illustration uh, came to mind, so bear with me. Say the Queen of England decides, I'm going to get a job at McDonald's. Kind of a ridiculous thought, I know. but uh, So the Queen is in Buckingham Palace and saying, you know what, I want to see how the other half lives, and so I'm going to get a job at McDonald's. I was in London once, and I don't know for sure, but I bet you there's a McDonald's within walking distance of Buckingham Palace. So her chauffeur that carries her around England in a Rolls Royce wouldn't even have to get out of bed in the morning, she could get up and walk. okay? Because again, she wants to see how the other half lives. So she goes and she applies, and she gets a job at McDonald's, okay? And she shows up the first day, okay, goes back in the dressing room, and the manager gives her uh, the standard uh, McDonald's outfit, the black pants, the black shirt, the golden arches right there, tells her how to work behind the register, and says, okay, uh, you're on. So the first customer comes up. The queen, again, not looking like the queen, no royal robes, no crown, just in the black plants, the black shirt, and the golden arches, gets the first customer. The first customer comes up, okay, and orders a cup of coffee. And that's all this fellow wants. He says, okay, well, you know, you can't really mess this up. Surely I can get this guy a cup of coffee. She hits the right button, gets the money from him, gives him his coffee, and he goes on his merry way. The second customer comes up, and thankfully this customer, remember it's their first day, just wants a hot fudge sundae. Surely we can handle that. Hot fudge sundae gets the money, gives them the hot fudge sundae, goes along the very way. But you knew it was coming, and the fourth customer wanted four things. So this gets a little bit more complicated, and the customer wants a Coke, and wants a Big Mac, and wants uh, uh, some French fries, and wants a hot fudge sundae. Well, the queen, not looking like the queen, is there and hitting the buttons, and sure enough, she hit the wrong button for the Big Mac and hit the fillet of fish button. So the order comes out a few minutes later, and this gentleman, unbeknownst to the queen, had eaten fish every day of his childhood and hated fish, and swore to God he would never eat a bite of fish the rest of his life. Looked in there and sees a fillet of fish and absolutely exploded. You'd think that the atomic bomb was dropped, but he hates fish. Okay? And he says, like, what is going on here? You messed up my order. Well, he starts yelling and getting upset and making a federal case out of this. And the manager comes running around and says, I'm sorry, it's his first day on the job. Okay, we'll make it right. We'll get you the Big Mac, and, and it'll be free and whatever. And the gentleman started to calm down. And the queen, again, not looking like the queen, is standing by the going, Man alive, this is insane. What is this guy's problem? He goes back to his uh, booth, eats his Big Mac and Coke and, 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 and uh, fries and uh, his hot fudge sundae, and is calming down. And the queen is thinking this why would you explode about a fillet of fish change for Big Mac? And then she thought, I'm the queen of England. What am I doing here? And then she thinks this, key statement. Uh, I wonder if he would react like this if he knew that I was the queen. I wonder if he would react if he knew who I really was. What do you think Jesus thought when he was hanging on the cross and they were abusing him and wounding him and screaming at him and blaspheming him? Well, the scripture says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They don't know. They're blinded. They don't see deity in the flesh. What did you think he did when he was in the Sanhedrin, okay, and they're yelling at him, hitting him, slapping him, uh, abusing him? I can imagine Jesus thinking, They don't really know who I am. And really all through the Gospels, you see accounts where things happen and people mock and they don't believe and they think he's an imposter and whatever. You know what? They don't really know who he is. This is the reality of the Christian faith. Do you really know who Jesus is? Do you know that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Do you know that he is the eternal word made in flesh. This was only possible because he emptied himself of the glory of heaven and took up the inhabitation of a physical flesh and blood body. Sometimes when I'm trying to explain this to people, I will say to them, stick out your hand. Flesh and blood. Jesus was actually in flesh and blood. Why? Because our sin takes us captive and it's in our flesh. It's in the very person of who we are. Jesus had to enter the very person of human flesh and then take our sins to Calvary. Friends, this is redemption. This is salvation. Paul says in Corinthians that he became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, this will blow your fuses if you take the time to think about it. We've all sinned. We've all failed. We all have regrets. We all have things we wish you'd done differently. Jesus took all of that on the cross and said, I'm going to give you righteousness and grace and forgiveness, and I'm going to call you my own. Friends, this is what Christmas is about. This is the incarnation. Look what he says there in that last section. How can eternal deity be resident in flesh and blood humanity? Because of kenosis. Because Jesus said, I'm going to leave the glory of heaven and come to earth in a human body. Jesus emptied himself of the glory and privileges of heaven. The queen stood behind that cash register in a McDonald's uniform and said, I will leave Buckingham Palace and my Rolls Royce and my servants and I will leave it there because I'm going to go work at McDonald's to see how the other half lives. And she saw real soon with that third customer, okay, who did not realize who she was. When Jesus hung on the cross, people did not realize who he was. But Thomas looked at him and saw the nail prints in his hands after he was resurrected and said, my Lord and my God. Jesus was God in the flesh. The next line there, the third one there in that bottom section, Paul knew that deity and humanity would be hard for Jews to swallow. Okay? Turn to the book of Philippians for a moment if you would please. Paul took a lot of time to develop what we would call a Christology, who is Jesus, okay? And uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, it says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, he could have stayed in heaven with the Father through all of eternity, but he gave up the privileges. He emptied himself. He he, he kenosis. He says, I'm going to set that aside to follow what the Father desires because we so desperately want to save these lost human beings. And Peter said, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Verse 7 Kenosis, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Okay, Go back one book to the book of Colossians. See what it says there? One book past uh, Philippians, Colossians 1.15. See what this says? The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and underline this, and in him all things hold together. Jesus holds the universe together. His power, his presence, holds everything together, okay? Okay? This is who Jesus is. Paul knew that deity and humanity would be hard for Jews to swallow. The next to the last blank, most don't understand or see who Jesus really was. And the last one, unless the Holy Spirit helps us, we cannot realize the majesty and wonder of who Jesus is. Would you pray this Christmas and just say, Lord, Show me, Emmanuel. May it penetrate my heart. I love Christmas. It's wonderful. I get tired sometimes because there's too much stuff going on. But I get quiet and I say, Jesus, may the reality of who you are penetrate my mind and my heart so that I can worship. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the Word. Thank you that you came in time and space in the Incarnation. Thank you as we read in Revelation, you will come again into time and space, not as a nondescript servant, but as the glorious Lord of the universe. And as Paul says, every knee will bow, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, we voluntarily do that now and say, yes, Jesus. And if there's someone here who doesn't know you, I pray that they would give their life to you today and pray a simple prayer of Jesus, I need you. My life is empty, doesn't make any sense. Everything I've tried for has not worked out. And maybe it's because there's a hole in your heart that only Jesus can fill. He can fill your heart today with himself by merely asking. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.